Welcome to the COSEC Show. Join the COSEC Qatari Securities team as they share their insights on the Australian share market, discussing some of their best performing companies, macroeconomic news from offshore, including local domestic news, foreign exchange, as well as commodities. If you have any questions regarding the share market, our phone lines are open. You can dial in on 1300 854 151 or alternatively, email info at cosec.com.au. Exclusively on this show, each guest will reveal their hottest stock pick. For more information on any of the topics discussed, go to cosec.com.au. The information featured in this program is general in nature and does not take into account your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Guests appearing on the program may own or have commercial arrangements with some of the companies mentioned. Before making any investment insurance or financial planning decisions, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Good afternoon, investors. My name is Will Brownlee, and welcome to the COSEX Show, where we discuss all things relevant in the market this week. Macroeconomic data, currencies and commodities, top forms of the week to was, and of course, our hottest stock picks for the week to come. Before we go any further, please allow me to introduce my representative from COSEC Investment Panel, Mr. By the Dip, Dan How high can it go, Howie? Mr. Dan Howie, how are you today, good sir? I'm excellent, Will. How are you this afternoon? Yeah, very well. The sun is out, everything's bright. The markets, on the other hand, are causing me a little bit of grief because they are down. Correct. And that is putting it mildly. We finished down today 0.73, which is on our lows for the day. This is, I think, our third consecutive down day. I think the week we closed out in pretty negative space as well. Yeah, exactly right. It has been a little bit of a softer week across markets. I think for February now, we're almost exactly dead flat, maybe slightly in the red, maybe one or two On tenths. February, so for the Correct. month so of Correct, so we've essentially February. moved nowhere. We had a very strong start to the year, but the momentum has really slowed down. Well, it wasn't going to keep going. Like, I mean, that's if, if we kept going up at 7% per year, I mean, we'd be per looking month, yeah. yeah, per month, we'd be looking at like you know, over Correct. 70%. It, I, I think it was quite expected, and I think as we go through the technical levels on uh, our market later on, it'll be, we can sort of highlight some areas where we think we might head and uh, give it a little bit of an outlook as well. Well, before we get into technical charts, let's look at uh, one of the big count talking points, which was, of course, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell's uh, an, a statement that he released on, I think, Wednesday night in the US, Correct. and that's sort of chop and change the market, a little bit of volatility there. But what did he come out and say? Yeah, so I, I think he was a little bit more hawkish than people expected, the comments. Although, after the, his comments, the markets actually rallied quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of what he said Well, we were down. On that day, we were down. We were in negative territory. He came out speaking, and everything rallied pretty Shut up, nicely. correct. So I think it was quite hawkish by, in nature, but what he said, I think a lot of was already priced in. Essentially, what he said uh, was that inflation is slowing, which we have seen for six months now consecutively in the US. But he did caution that further rate rises are expected. So we've, we've seen... Markets, futures markets, options markets take that and maybe price in a higher peak rate now in the US. Not by much, though, surely. What's the higher peak rate kind <coughs> Not of? Not by much. So something? There's some traders are now pricing 6%. So I'll actually grab a few pieces of actual specific trades this week placed in the US that sort of hint at that. So there was a little bit of a shift in sentiment. What it's caused is um, we've seen a bet in the rate options market where several big wages have been placed on the 6% peak rate. So one trader amassed a large options options position that will pay off $135 million if the central bank keep t- keeps tightening until September. So if we look where we're at now, we're at 4.5 to 4.75 in the US. If they're going to keep tightening until September, you'd expect at least another 1, 1.5% of increases, which would leave it around 6%. And also the Chicago Mercantile Exchange confirmed there was an $18 million US dollar wager placed on Tuesday, and that will target a 6% benchmark rate. So that option expires in September. 
And again, that would also indicate that the rate will peak around 6% rather than the... Uh, if we look two, three months ago, the peak rate was expected to be about 5%. So okay, so... There's still not a huge amount. Uh, we're looking at, I guess, across the board, that's only a few wages being placed on that sort of peak rate. But across the board, still not a huge amount has changed with the sentiment from the Fed. And I think the message has still remained quite similar over the last three months. Let's look a little bit more locally here, because I know earlier on uh, we were also having a few sort of announcements coming out about the RBA. I know we had our RBA rate decision. I think that happened. And then we've seen sort of a bit of chop and change. Talk us through what happened on that. That was on Tuesday, is that right? Tuesday, correct. The RBA, nice and... Structurally, like the Fed, the first Tuesday of every month, and they yep. raised by 25 basis points. Which, Shock horror, which is exactly what the Fed has done, yeah? Correct, and that was the market consensus that was quite heavily priced in, and that takes our cash rate now to 3.35% in Australia. And what's our peak rate anticipated? At the moment, it is anticipated to be about 4%. Okay, so we're looking at maybe one or two more hikes, and then... Yeah, it looks like potentially two more rate hikes, um, and then, yeah, the peak rate at the moment, the futures markets are pricing in about 4%. So... I'll have a quote from uh, Philip Lowe, which gave a bit of insight into their stance at the moment, their first sort of uh, press conference for the year, a little bit of a longer one, but he said, the board expects that further increases in interest rates will be needed over the months ahead to ensure that inflation returns to the target and this period of high inflation is only temporary. In assessing how much further interest rate uh, need to increase, the board will be paying close attention to developments in the global economy, trends in household spending and the outlook for inflation and the labour market. So pretty much all those key indicators... The, the, they look at to sort of uh, determine where they're going to go moving forward um, and they'll come in the next few weeks. We know the US CPI is next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the current market consensus is 6.2% year on year. That'll be down from 65 So if we hit expectations at 62 over in the US on Tuesday, which is Wednesday morning our time, that would be the seventh consecutive month now that inflation has come down in the US. Quite positive for the Fed looking at economic data. But yeah, the, next, the following two weeks after that, we'll start to see things... Uh, in our own local market with regards to inflation, retail sales, and also uh, unemployment as well, the job starter. Okay. And so on the day of the the RBA announcement, which is on Tuesday, we were flat, trading very flat throughout the day, but then this RBA rate announcement came out and <coughs> we dropped well, we dropped down about half a percent or so, and our dollar flew up about 1%. Now, obviously, I can understand why the dollar is going up, but why do you think that we had such a big drop? Were people expecting something differently? Because I thought this was relatively priced in, so I thought we wouldn't have actually seen much change. Why Correct. Was it his announcement, or what was the reason? Yeah, it where seemed to come from the press conference. If you look at, we were sort of watching here, the traders here on a one-minute time frame, the ASX 300. It had a little bit of a drop uh, initially on the on the rate increase. Now, that may just mean that it wasn't fully priced in. There was, I think, about a 15 to 20% chance of no change. I know JP Morgan were looking at no change from the RBA, so there could have been a little bit of a sell-off from that. But I think the main thing was when they came out and spoke, again, quite a hawkish message, and I think the main part from that is the fact that if you look at the trends in inflation in Australia, still trending up, we're up at 73 and it's been going up still for the last five or six months, whereas the US is on almost the opposite end of that stick. So... Our inflation is still quite sticky, still quite hot, uh, and I think the economic data in our own local market, which is really what Philip Lowe was hinting at with that last part of his statement, is not really indicating that the economy is slowing down as quickly as it needs to, apart from retail sales. Retail sales last month dipped nearly 4%, which was 10 times more than expected, nearly 20 times more than expected. The funny thing that always interests me, whenever they see this, it always comes out in the articles in the newspapers, AFR, <coughs> news.com, any of these big news services, it says the big line, uh, 
people are getting walloped by their mortgages. And obviously it is. But surely, is it widespread knowledge? Do people know that these rates are going to keep going up? Because it's not going to stay where they are. No, these are going to Their mortgages, you're looking at your mortgages going up another another sort of two more hikes at least until we start Correct. seeing And I guess that a lot of people, especially your average person, isn't going to be studying the, the outlook for the economy and the RBA and things like that. But... It's it's an interesting conversation to have. I think you know money can never be free forever. We've had a very very good run in the last ten years. Well, it's the interesting thing I saw read in the papers today is how a lot of a lot of people are really upset that the banks have passed on the hike directly to people, but they haven't increased the uh, the um, your bank account rates. So they haven't they haven't changed that. That's still under review, but they've passed on the mortgage rates. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the institution. I know CBA have so CBA increased their variable home loan rate by. 25 basis points. But the savings accounts are different. Depends on the savings account you have. Mm. But they've actually, CBA, I know, increased theirs from anywhere from 025 to 0.75%. So I know CBA made that increase. I don't know if other institutions had. I haven't really read into that side of things with, the, with regards to savings accounts. But it is always an interesting conversation to have. I think sometimes it, w- it will hurt households. It will hurt the consumer. But sometimes it's required. Um, if the economy is in the situation it is now, money can't be free. Things need to, you know, you need to go through a tougher period. People will suffer a little bit. That's just how it is. I know a lot of people are hurting, especially after the last 12 months, and the outlook isn't overly positive for the next 12. But, um, you know, when we go through these kind of periods, this, I guess, is required to happen to bring, I guess, um, you know, markets and, and the this, economy this back into... This comes from what happens if you, have, if you give free money away. This is exactly what's going to happen. Correct. So. And, I mean, people are more than happy to take money from the Absolutely. government, and then that's really going to... It's caused a big spike in demand. Another big thing that people don't really consider is... So many people are still out there spending because they have the freedom from not being in COVID lockdowns anymore. They're like, I want to go out and, and spend. But that's what's pushing inflation. The demand in the economy, people going out, people, mm. the amount of people using things like afterpay, they can't afford things, but they're still buying that demand. Credit cards. Credit cards. Like, like the demand from things like that where essentially consumers are spending on things they can't even afford. Mm. That's just driving and driving and driving inflation. Like it's spending needs to slow down. And I know obviously, you know, Big ticket items are probably things that probably need to slow down. But you, obviously, staples are never going to really slow down. But other items and other p- areas of spending is really what needs to cool down for inflation to cool down. And it's not until you sort of really pull it apart and understand what's happening with regards to, I guess, picking up on trends in the economy and, until you understand that, you're never going to really understand the way that inflation needs to come down. So the tightening, I think, at the moment is definitely required. And I, I guess a lot of people, it is hurting whether you're but a mortgage, mm-hmm. whether you're a renter, the rental market's been, um, you know, biting people pretty bad as well. The increases, I've s- spoken to a few of my mates that the, the increases have been quite substantial. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, it's something that'll only be temporary. I think there will be, I'm quite confident there'll be a pivot from the RBA sometime in the next 18 months. I'm not going to be too, I guess, uh, bullish on it and say mm-hmm. in the next 12 months because you never know. We weren't going to increase rates till 2024 if we're looking back at 18 yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah. So um, you never know. But it, as I said, it is only temporary. Um, and it's something that is required to bring that economy back into equilibrium and slow down inflation, which is really what's going to benefit people in the long run. Very good. Well, enough about that. Let's go straight over to the actual chart of the S&P 500. Let's take a look at what that is and maybe give some technical analysis because, to be fair with you, yes, it was looking good because we broke out, but if we look at it on that trend now, still on that downtrend, still not necessarily moving in a positive direction, um, okay, what are your thoughts on that? Give me some analysis. Yeah, so again, this week has really, I guess, put a bit of damper on that trend that was forming. Um, the, the positive news for the S&P, if you want to be sitting on the optimist side of things, glass half full, is that if you were to draw that long-term downtrend line, we are still sitting above it. We're still sitting above those 200-day moving averages. 
Uh, but I think the CPI print next Tuesday in the US, their Tuesday session, could be a big indicator of where we're going to go. Um, all we're really looking at is, is to really gauge investor sentiment at the moment. It is a little bit mixed. We had a very positive start to the year. Some hawkish comments from the Fed have sort of shaken it up a little bit this week. Uh, but again, what we want to see is the continuous unfold of this economic data release and see how investors really consume that data. So next Tuesday, with the next big telling signal, you can see a pretty big red candlestick there overnight. Fair bit of selling pressure this week, whether that's, um, I think a lot of it is investors digesting those Fed comments. It could also potentially be investors taking profit off the table. We have spoken about the very strong start to the year. Some people want to save that profit. The economic outlook is still not overly certain. We know investors love certainty. If there's a bit of uncertainty, maybe they're taking some profit off the table as well. So a bit of a softer week. I think next Tuesday we'll give us a telling signal on where that trend from the S&P is going to go. If we sort of, uh, I guess, digest that positively, we could push back up and take a new high and really continue that trend we've formed to start the year. If it's quite negative, we could come back down. And the big telling signal if we come back down is how we treat that long-term downtrend line. Do we use it as support? and also those 200-day moving averages. Perfect. Let's go over to our next one, which will actually be the ASX, our local market. Let's have a look at how that's uh, looking as well. Again, so I think looking obviously broadly much more positive, uh, you can see again this week, even in this month, the momentum is much, much slower. Uh, as I said to start Taking off the show. a W for Will. See how it's a W? <laughs> it is a nice W. w for Will. It is a nice W. And as I said, I think the big thing is, like as I said at the start of the show for February, I think we're almost dead flat. We've really slowed down. There's been... Pretty positive moves to start mm. sessions in a lot of days, but we've seen a fair bit of selling pressure. You can see if you look Our spies haven't seen us opening up. Like, our spy was only <coughs> down 0.35, so... Like I don't think I've seen spy in more than half a percent up or down in yeah. quite a while. It's mm. been quite a muted month so far. Again, the momentum looks slowing down. I think if you look at that previous high level we're looking at there, you can see the most recent peak before the retracement, before that very strong start to the year. I think potentially finding support there is the next move for the ASX 300. Now that's about 1% lower. So I think if the U- I think US futures were relatively muted as we came in here, so not a huge indication. Been negative. They've been negative for most of the day, but yeah. So I think, yeah, the next two sessions, maybe we might drop about 1% to that level. Hopefully we can treat that as support if we do and bounce higher. Quite positive, I think, for our market. Uh, but again, I think that big... Again, it seems to line up. We're heading towards a nice mm, support mm. level as we come into that CPI print from the US. So that'll be a good lead for us. If it's positive, again, I think we could push back up towards those all-time highs which now we're about 3% from. Uh, but again, I think that the, the economic data is what's going to give us the driver for the trend forming in the next sort of week or two. Very good. Fantastic analysis, as always, on the macroeconomic landscape. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a short break. If you have any questions for our panel, please feel free to take a video and email it through to info at cosec.com.au. Alternatively, dial one 854 151. Everyone that does receive a copy of our book, Stock Market Success, Retailing and Dimmicks for $39.95. In the meantime, we'll take that quick break and we'll be back shortly with your currency and commodity overview. How do you get the highest returns in the stock market on a consistent basis? Obsessed with this idea, Michael Kadari forms COSEC, Kadari Securities. He seeks, in his own words, a revolutionary investment strategy based on better information and knowledge. Wealth begins with better knowledge, becomes his motto. He seeks to identify and accurately pick the next top performing stocks on the ASX. He seeks for consistency. Michael Kadari creates a unique stock market filtering system he names Lotus Blue, named after a flower that blooms just once. Because in investing, timing, is everything. 
See how accurate Cosex stock picks are. Get a free seven-day access to Lotus Blue today. If you want the Cosec Investment Edge, you know what you have to do. Call Cosec now or visit cosec.com.au and take advantage of the insights he reserves for his clients. Welcome back. Let's talk about currencies and commodities now. All things that shine, sparkle, fold, made the world go round. Something that has had a bit of shine in the past, maybe not so much this week, but that is, of course, the price of gold. Talk to us about how gold's going, Dan. Yeah, correct. So from the end of our show last week to now, gold is down about 3%. I might actually pull up a chart of gold as I talk about it at the moment. You can see a couple of fairly big red candles there. They were towards the tail end of last week, that last big red candle before we sort of hollered around. That was a huge pullback. We saw... I think it was about 1% or 2% drop, wasn't Correct. it? Correct. And that was the US session last Friday. So that would have been our Friday night into Saturday morning was when we had that big drop. And we've sort of not moved a whole lot this week off the back of that. We did try to bounce up uh, the first couple of days of the week, but we did experience a bit of selling pressure. So down about 3% from... Down the about 1%, almost 1% yesterday as well, point yeah, seven. So Correct. So I guess what's driving that, we did see those hawkish Fed comments. So people are now maybe pricing in a higher peak rate, good for the US dollar. We did obviously off the back of that see a bounce in the US dollar and a fair bit of downward pressure on the price of gold. So a lot of it coming from that uh, hawkish Fed comments this mm -hmm. week and people now, I guess there was a few people talking about a Fed pivot this year. I think those bets are starting to fade, which is causing a little bit of optimism uh, for the US dollar and a bit of downward pressure for the price of gold. So again, the trend there still looks very positive. I wouldn't be too worried about um, that really tanking quite considerably. I think overall there's still a fair bit of downside support for gold where it is. Uh, but yeah, not the most positive last sort of five trading days for gold. Understand? All right, and I mean, is this in terms of gold players? They've also had a, a lot of sort of so stabling out. I know we were talking about evolution mining, even though it hasn't been going down. The volume has just been absolutely decimated. Very very small volume. Correct. Not uh, a huge amount of people trading now. I think with regards to, I guess if if myself, I was managing my own portfolio of of businesses, and I've been looking at gold stocks, and I've been in them for the last three months, I'd maybe looking to take profit off the table. Uh, I think we could see in coming months a little bit more downside risk for these players with the, with the way that gold looks there. I'm not saying it's going to continue downtrending, but there's no reason with the way the economic outlook is, from especially from central banks at the moment, that we couldn't see gold trend sideways for a bit. I know if we look back 12 to 16 months, gold traded sideways for, for nearly four or five months. So there's no reason we couldn't enter into a pattern like that with the way gold trades. And we know from about six months ago, those gold plays are really quite elevated. So absolutely, the volume does seem quite low, but I guess they've been performing quite well. Um, a fair bit of volatility. If you look at a lot of those gold plays, if you're looking at Newcrest Mining, you're looking at Northern Star, Evolution Mining, Perseus Mining. Perseus, huge drops. Yeah. If you look at the last two, three weeks, not a lot of movement up or a lot of movement up and down, but on the broader time frame, quite sideways trending, but a fair bit of volatility. But as you said, quite low volume. So. Maybe it's time to take profit off the table with those players. If, if you bought within the last you know, three, four, five months, mm -hmm. you'd be up quite considerably. Um, and I guess really the outlook now is, is where do you move the funds to? But I think at the moment, um, gold, maybe a little bit of uncertainty with the way that it could trade for the next couple of months. Understood. And let's go over to oil as well. Maybe give us your an, uh, insight on oil because we have seen a big jump off on the back of that. 4% the earlier on in the week, which is a jump off. Correct. It's given some of that back at the moment. Maybe dig straight into the chart of oil. I've, yep. I've now stretched this chart a little bit on a longer time frame so you can see that perfect peak, the pullback. It's a bit of an ugly chart, but uh, in the shorter term, it's um, it's been a little bit more bullish. Correct. So just up, up over just... 5.5% for the week. And I guess 
the reason for that, we had some revived optimism again from China, which did fade a little bit. So there's been re uh, revived optimism around a demand surge from China in 2023, um, and that was after Fitch Ratings upgraded its economic growth forecast to 5% for China for this year. So that's from about 35 So that's quite a considerable increase. I think as we spoke about last week, it really fits the criteria with the way they're coming out of uh, their COVID-19 zero policy, the way they're looking to stimulate their economy uh, through a lot of infrastructure projects and things like that, infrastructure-led recovery, as you discussed last week when we discussed nickel industries. Um, and I think that's what's really caused a lot of positivity this week. And I think on a technical level, you can't see it there. If you really zoom in and look at the last three weeks of trading, we did form a nice technical double bottom and then a nice hammer candlestick on Monday on that double bottom, which led to a little bit of a bounce. So technical traders may have been entering to start the week and putting through some solid orders uh, to buy on that technical double bottom and a nice bullish hammer candlestick as well. Very good. And then finally, let's go over to uh, Bitcoin because that was doing exceptionally well up until last night. We saw about a 6% drop in ETH and we saw about a 5% drop in Bitcoin. Correct. Really disrespected that consolidation. Big Did. plunging uh, um, candlestick down. Sitting, we were trading at about the 23,000 mark US for a while. Now yep. trading closer to 21,000. I got a chart on that maybe for... Yeah, we'll bring bigger. up Bitcoin as well. Again, it was looking quite optimistic. You can see there, even though it's quite zoomed out, you can see a big red candle uh, just overnight, as you said, you were spot on. It fell down 5% overnight, um, and it's down nearly 5% for the week. So not quite 5% for the week because we did have a bit of a push-up to start the week. But I think if you're looking at technical side of things, and now when you're looking at technical analysis with cryptocurrencies, there's a couple side of things. I guess technicals is a, a much bigger part of things for crypto with some respect because it's much more related to technicals because there's not a whole lot of other things to analyse in a sense with regards to stocks. You can look at valuations, a whole lot of other things when you're analysing stocks, but also there's a lot more manipulation in cryptocurrency markets as well. Not so much with Bitcoin, but that's why sometimes the technical side of things aren't as respected as much as if you're looking at stocks or indexes. But yeah, I think that's the first time now Bitcoin's traded in the lower Donchin channel since the fourth day of this year. So had a very, very good run, and it's the first time we've seen a little bit of a sell-off that's caused the trend to maybe not look as positive as it has to start the year. A couple of key levels of support there as well. If we break below them, I think it could be uh, yeah, correct. more of a decline. But, uh, correct. So we've, we're sort of hovering out that bottom Donchin channel. There is the moving averages, which are not too much lower. And again, the, the key psychological level of 20,000, which is not too far away as well. So a bit of downside support, as you said. Um, and again, maybe just investors taking a bit of profit off the table after we were up, we were up, were up about 40% for the year at one point. So could be some profit taking. Uh, could be a little bit of optimism fading with some Fed comments this week. But I think across the board... Still doesn't look overly terrible. Very good. Thank you, Mr. By the Dip Dan. How high can it go? Howie, Mr. Dan Howie. So that's commodities and currencies and the events that shaped them. Now you're a bull or a bear. Let us know. one 854 Our phone lines are now open. But for now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll have a look at what the best performing businesses in Australia were this week.
Welcome back. Let's move on to our next section now and take a look at what the best and worst performers for the week were. Were there tears shed this week? Who lost money? And who has Christmas come early for Mr. By the Dip? Dan, how are I going to go, Howie? Mr. Dan, Howie, tell us all about your wonderful <coughs> sector chart. What's done well? What hasn't done well? Who's crying? Who's not crying? Where are we sitting at? Look, if we, we pull up the chart straight away, I think you can see based on that most people are probably crying this week. Christmas hasn't come early for many people unless you're looking strictly at the financial sector. Which again is well, what's that other one right at the very bottom? Energy, energy, energy's edged higher. That was one of the worst performing sectors last week, though, if I remember correctly. Correct, it so. has been. Now, financials the last start of the year has been quite positive. We spoke about last week CBA consistently hitting all time highs, up again nearly one percent for the week, and that's probably the reason that our market isn't down quite considerably. Financials holding us up quite nicely, but across the board, energy, as you said, edged higher nearly two tenths of one percent, but everything else quite considerably. Uh, in the red, the worst performer for the week, information technology. We know it's quite a rate-sensitive sector there. Uh, also, real estate and utilities down over 3%. AGL Energy fell 10% uh, on Wednesday, which was its worst day on the market. Actually, no, yesterday. Worst day on the market since Now, that was on a bit of an announcement, wasn't it? It was that they weren't, they were... They had a bottom-line loss of a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So, for the half year. And uh, had their worst day on the market trading since 2007. So that's probably a big part of what's dragged utilities down for the week. Uh, but also across the board, you can see their materials, uh, industrials, consumer discretionary, healthcare, and communication services down about 1% for the week, and staples down about three quarters of a percent. Less than ideal for them. Let's go on to a couple of announcements because Alphabet over in the US has reported. And it reported a pretty substantial drop, and it was on the back of an announcement. Is that right? Yes, exactly. So this one is quite interesting. I'm really excited to explain this to our viewers because this is not an earnings report from Alphabet. This is something that they're coming out with to compete with ChatGPT, which now, I'm sure... Now, talk to us about what ChatGDP is. Okay, ChatGPT For those who haven't watched is an artificial le- intelligence model. If you have not used this, I suggest as you listen to this, you open another tab on your computer and go and use this tool because it is exceptional. Essentially, it's an artificial intelligence tool where you can go on this and write anything in and it will produce any piece of writing you want. It will answer any question, produce any piece of writing, write me an essay on the stock market and its history. What is this? What is that? Anything, it will write you an essay, it will write you a letter, it will write anything on essentially anything you want. Mm-hmm. It struggles with live data, like if you write, give me an update on the stock market today and what mm-hmm. did well, probably can't do that. But essentially, anything, it's an artificial intelligence model that can pull data. So if you asked, for instance, if I asked it to write me a... Write me an essay, a 500-word essay on, let's just say, Martin Luther King. They would be able to do all of that. They'd do it. Mm-hmm. And then you could take that essay and, and you could re- rewrite into ChatGPT saying, um, or you could say you, you wanted to, God forbid, plagiarise an essay. You could take it and say, change up this essay and make it more intellectual and yep. it will rewrite the whole thing. So wow. that I know a lot of schools, a lot of universities are struggling because there's essentially no way to track it and... Mm. Check that it is because it changes, isn't it? Yeah, you can. Ch- it, if you write the same thing, it'll give you different answers. Really, wow! So that's quite an, an exceptional tool. As I said, if you haven't used it, to our viewers, so and go check it out. So of course, big tech with being Alphabet has jumped onto that, and they have said, Correct. We I think they're create. getting a, a huge, like fifteen million users a month or something insane for something that's really quite new. So exceptional numbers. We know AI is going to be a big part of the future, and this is a really big thing that's now blown up now. Alphabet, so they're obviously Google's parent company. They are looking at an artificial artificial intelligence chatbot called Bard, which they're releasing. And I'm excited to tell this story because I woke up and I was shell-shocked at the result. So what they happened What happened is they were basically Google released a promotional video to promote this uh, chatbot, chat, chatbot yep. Bard. And they were showing off a new technology live from Paris at a virtual event. Um, and it gave an incorrect answer. 
So it got asked, uh, so it basically asked the question, um, what a parent could tell their nine-year-old child about the discoveries made by the James Webb Space Telescope. And it responded that the telescope was the first to take pictures of a planet outside Earth's solar system, and that was incorrect. Now, what happened... Was it, was it like, how incorrect? Are we talking about it was, wasn't a telescope or it wasn't... It was a different telescope. Okay, right. And essentially what happened is now Google Alphabet is a $1.28 trillion company. That event occurring wiped $100 billion off their market cap in one session. So who gets blamed billion. for that? Is there just one little dude who's I, sitting there? It, yeah, someone may be doing the code for this bot. I don't know. But $100 billion, that's nearly a twelfth of their company's value wiped in one session. So... On the actual trading session, we they can put that in the time that Elon Musk tried to <laughs> tried to get the rock to bounce off the uh, yeah, put of the Tesla tank. <laughs> almost the same thing—a promotional thing gone wrong—and they lost a hundred billion in market cap in one day. So during the trading session, they dipped about nine percent at one point, closed down about seven. Second two days in a row, they were down about two percent the next day as well. So. Correct. So I guess those big communication services company in the US have had a bit of a rougher week as well. I know Meta was down another three percent overnight, but I thought that was really quite interesting, and I think. When I first woke up and read the article, it was at 5.30 in the morning and I see Alphabet loses $100 billion and I was like, I thought it was a, like a write-off loss and I was like, that's ridiculous. But yeah, $100 billion wiped off the market cap. So I thought it was quite interesting um, and a very, one very, big piece of news of the week. Yeah, very, very funny and you know, yeah. I do think humour does inflate the soul. Think about inflating souls, let's talk about balloons. That was a great segue. Did you like that there? Great uh, segue. Okay, so I'm talking about balloons. So, China released a balloon... Is it, a, is it their balloon? Is it someone else's balloon made from other people? We don't know what it is, but the point is this balloon got shot down over... This story is like the epitome of what they talk about of like filtering through news and picking out yeah. what's fake news and what's not. So for those that aren't aware, essentially what happened is this week a US fighter jet shot down a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon. Uh, suspected being the operative word Suspected, there. you never know. It had been flying across the US, including over sensitive military bases as well. Now, they've recovered... I believe this morning mm-hmm. or overnight started to recover pieces from the balloon and parts, etc. All the writing on the parts are in English. So is it Chinese? <laughs> is it not? What's going on? Who knows? What's real news? What's fake news? Who knows? Uh, but what it's done is really raised tensions between China and the US. Um, US Secretary of State Anthony Blitken was supposed to go to China. He's cancelled that trip. So it's I guess uh, the tensions between the US and China are now really inflated again. Pardon the pun, because we know that happened the end of last that year when, good. when uh, uh, what's her name, Nancy Pelosi yeah, went to course, Taiwan. Yeah. That was really what kicked things off there. So the tensions are heightened again. Um, we did see in the subsequent trading session in China, investors pulled out about eighty billion. They dumped about eighty eighty million, sorry, dollars worth of uh, eighty million US dollars worth of Chinese shares, and the Chinese markets actually uh, sold so quite a bit. It, has this got the capacity to really balloon out of control? Could blow up, you know. Yeah, it could blow up. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> moving along. Uh, anyway, the thing that I was about to say, uh, I've I've been on hot air balloons before in the past, and me being the inquisitive bloke that I am, I'm always asking and I'm always getting worried. What happens if the wind comes and blows you off course? Because well, that's the, give give our viewers the story of what what the well, Chinese the, what the saying. Chinese have done is they've come out and they've said, yeah, it was a, a strong westerly gust or wind that blew it in your direction. It wasn't meant to go there. So they're they're claiming now. So I asked the question. All right, so. If you're in a hot air balloon, surely you're just at mercy of what the wind's doing. And the guy was explaining, and he was doing the thing where they, they can make the air, the balloon go up or down, depending on how much hot air yeah, they, correct. they do. That. And, and so I was like, what's just stopping us just having a bad wind and then just flying to out to sea and then just all drowning? China. Yeah, exactly. 
And what he basically said is, is this is not as simple. It's actually a lot safer than what you think because wind is like a, on layers and the layer one would be maybe 100 metres off the ground and it will be going in a northerly direction. And then if you go up another 200 metres, you'll be getting a northeasterly direction wind. So he says it's all about just finding out how high and low. Really quite interesting to learn about. Yeah. And so... And I spoke to a person from from uh, from New Zealand that he he has flown hot air balloons and he says I don't think that's a very logical thing to say that a wind <laughs> blew us there. It doesn't seem that true. <laughs> it, to me, like believing that is is almost more unfeasible than the story itself. Like mm. someone believing that, like look at a world map, look where China is, look where the US is. A, a wind just got to be a pretty strong wind to blow a balloon from the Chinese sort of area over to the US. And why wouldn't you shoot it down? Like, if it's, as soon as it gets out of your, like, in theory, I know, it, oh, it's all, you know, we'll conjecture about it. But. It's, uh, you know, similar to the joke, you know, when the wind's strong, it might blow you into the pub on a Friday afternoon, sort of that sort of idea. Might. Potentially. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially. <laughs> on a day like today in Sydney, likely. Likely, like, very, very good. Thank you, Mr. By the Dip Town, how high are you going to go? How would you just like the balloon? Very high indeed. That is the best and the worst performance of the week, and that's the events that have shaped them. Now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll give you the final section of the show. How do you get the highest returns in the stock market on a consistent basis? Obsessed with this idea, Michael Kadari forms COSEC, Kadari Securities. He seeks, in his own words, a revolutionary investment strategy based on better information and knowledge. Wealth begins with better knowledge, becomes his motto. He seeks to identify and accurately pick the next top performing stocks on the ASX. He seeks for consistency. Michael Kadari creates a unique stock market filtering system he names Lotus Bloom, named after a flower that blooms just once. Because in investing, timing is everything. See how accurate COSEC stock picks are. Get a free seven-day access to Lotus Blue today. If you want the COSEC investment edge, you know what you have to do. Call COSEC now or visit cosec.com.au and take advantage of the insights he reserves for his clients. Welcome back. Now, do you have a stock that you think is looking good? Do you think you could have found the next big thing? Why not take a video and email it through to us at info at cosec.com.au or send a text to 0422-972-897. Tell us what the stock is. Tell us why you like it. We're going to track it over the week. The person that tips the best performing stock received their very own gold play to Kadari Bull and Bear Cufflinks. To get things started, let's take a look at what our investment panels are looking at for the week to come, and we'll do that via Mr. Dan Howie. This is this week's Hot Opportunity. So this is what investors are really looking for. We know what gold, oil, and the dollar is done. We know what the top performers for the week were. Now, let's find out what our investment panel is looking at for the week to come. Mr. By the Dip Dan, how high can it go, Howie? Mr. Dan Howie, what's our investment panel looking at this week, and why do they like it so much for the week to come? Yeah, so pretty simple one to explain this week, and it's uh, a business in the material sector, and the business is Blue Scope Steel, and their ticker code is BSL. As the name would suggest, they're an Australian manufacturer of coated and painted flat steel products for the construction and engineering sector. So Blue Scope was actually a business that demerged from BHP and listed on its own in 2002. So it has been listed now for quite some time. 
and it is a, a business that is quite embedded in that material sector in Australia. Very large company. And what a is, wide scope of different operations. Yeah, I was, I was literally sitting here in the break and thinking, what can I think of? What puns <laughs> can I think of with the word blue? I was like, none. Scope's a bit easier. But anyway, looking at the business, I think macroeconomically at the moment, we discussed last week with Nickel Industries, it's the exact same story. A lot of optimism around China. I discussed with oil earlier, a fair bit more optimism with China, people upgrading their growth forecast for China. Mm-hmm. And we know, as we said, the way they're looking to really stimulate their economy coming out of zero COVID is through an infrastructure. So you could say they've got a very steely focus on their uh, on their uh, future, right? Yeah, the outlook doesn't look too blue. So oh, there you go. There exactly. You go. <laughs> there, that, was, that was a good one. That t- was a good it one. took me a while. It took me a while. But as I said the, last week, the Chinese government's pledged a huge amount of funds, somewhere in the range of $800 billion Directly to building infrastructure. Like building an infrastructure over the ne- yeah. It's over the next five years, but that's still a huge amount of, of money being pledged to those sort of projects. So... Again, it doesn't matter what you're looking at. There is still a lot of optimism coming out of China, which we've seen now for probably about two or three mm-hmm. months. But that is continuing, and I think it does provide a lot of macroeconomic support for a business like Bluescope. Now, if we look fundamentally, I think at the moment this is a business that is posting some of the strongest fundamentals in that material sector. Over the last three years, their earnings are five times what they were uh, yeah, five years ago, which is really quite positive. Uh, if we look at their operating margin through the same period, it's more than doubled, so they're t- more than twice as profitable as they were five years ago. And they're really stealing the cake on this, aren't they? <laughs> and their EPS in the last year has doubled. So really positive. Investors will be loving those fundamentals with EPS really growing quite quickly. But if you look at their revenues year on year, they've grown for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years now. Their revenues And are their debt's going down. Like they've got <clears throat> negative, negative debt. De- negative debt very and their, earnings and, uh, their revenues now up over $18 billion a year. So they're growing very, very quickly. Five years ago, they were less than $8 billion. And I think also because of that China lockdown and because of that China sort of issues, they had a bit of a pullback, so now they're, they're relatively reasonably priced, in my, my opinion. Correct, and be. if you look at the last five years, their revenues have gone from 10 to $18 billion and increased every year, year on year. Now, that's through COVID, that's through China shutting down, that's through the whole lot. So All, that, all those, um, they were actually, I believe, and if someone have to correct me on this, I believe they were one of the first firms to get exempt from the Donald Trump Chinese tariffs. This might be a bit before your time here at the firm, but we were, it was, that was very, I know on the podcast, someone can look back up uh, on one of our earlier podcasts, we were talking about those Chinese tariffs and it was one of the first ones to get exempt. Yeah, yeah interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll look at some valuations. We're trading at the moment, Blue Scope is at about eighteen seventy five. Now we have some valuations, one from UBS at $20.50 a share about 10% high. One from Morgan Stanley, they've got $24 a share as their fair valuation on Bluescope. That's about 28% upside. And lastly, we'll look at the technicals. You can see here, it has made a pretty strong resurgence in the last Very two. Very similar to the S&P 500 chart. does look quite, yeah, agreed. It looks quite good. It has tracked the index quite nicely uh, in the last two to three months. But you can see there from December is really where the positivity has started, where our, where our local market was still quite choppy. And we had a bit of a rough end to last year. So you can see it really started to form a positive trend there. I think most stocks were a bit blue at the end of last year. <laughs> Correct. But if you look from that December month, it, was, it really generated a pretty textbook upward trend, consecutive higher lows and higher highs, pushed above those 200-day moving averages at the moment, just consolidating. Now, what I like about that most recent candlestick, although it's red, uh, you can see there a wick on the bottom of that candlestick, which very similarly is what I expect from our local market, has bounced perfectly off that previous high, which was from the beginning of December. So... We've come down towards that today, tested it. It looks as if we're using it as support and potentially continuing that upward trend. So still sitting quite low. We know the all-time high for Blue Scope is well above where it's at now. So on the broader 12, 24-month time frame, still sitting quite low, but it has really shown us in the last two to three months that it is looking to reverse its trend. I think also one of the things that I'll be looking at 
excuse me, one of the things I've been looking at is um, a little bit about how high some stocks are. Like I know Fortescue Metal, obviously exposed to the iron ore space. So to a certain extent, if China's going to do well and do this, then Fortescue Metal, Rio Tinto, BHP, they could also do quite well. But the thing, they're on they're the all-time all, highs. All very, very well, well I'm not sure if Fortescue is, but it's high. Like it's not. Yeah, it's not Rio's not, Rio's close. BHP was is, and yeah. is pretty much still sitting there. Fortescue's not quite, but they're all very, very elevated. They're Whereas all, Blue Coast still, you might be saying this is something that you could quite easily conceivably get 10, 20, 30% out of without worrying too much about running. Certainly scope team. for it to push a fair bit higher. Oh, very good. Oh, I got the scope. <laughs> oh, I'm learning. You were learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you think Blue Scope Steel is opposed to some of the other ones? And I think it's, I mean, it's not monopolistic, but it's one of the more well-known steel makers in the world, really, isn't it? Correct. It is, it is very, very large. It's well-known across the globe. I think across the board, I, I just think the fundamentals posted by the business really highlight strong growth strategy. There's no pullback in the last five years and really many of their metrics, like their revenues are consistently growing. They've had a few times where their earnings pulled back, especially in 2020, but as I said, the last three years, they've 5X'd. Mm. So very strong growth strategy from the business. It looks like they're being run very well at the moment, and it seems like at the moment the outlook for the business is quite good. Uh, it's almost got, got a blue chippy feel about it, really. Isn't it? it is probably you consider a blue chippy. <laughs> yeah, blue chippy, exactly. <laughs> and definitely scope for it to do quite well. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, fantastic. As always, thank you very much for great analysis, Mister Buy the Dip Dan. How high can it go, Howie? That Pleasure. is Blue Scope Steel. Take a look at that one, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. On behalf of everyone here at the show, I want to wish our clients, friends, and colleagues a very safe and happy weekend, and we look forward to seeing you next week. My name's been Will Brownlee, and this has been the Cosec Show.